my neighbour has just gone out and left his door open again. <laughs> what is he doing? It's 14 degrees outside and he leaves for about 30 minutes and, and just leaves his front door open. It's it's a real baller move. It really is. Like, if I were a criminal, I don't think I would go in there. I think I'd be like... Mm. But, but the thing is, I can't do anything but watch that door now to make sure that no one else goes in. No, that's not your business. <laughs> but I bet if someone did go in, they would run out screaming shortly thereafter. Like, there's something in that house. Maybe it's like a trap. <laughs> yes. Oh, don't go there. Maybe... As soon as you step in, the doormat is just a hole through to the basement. Is it possible that your neighbor is that guy from the Saw movies? (laughs) (laughs) So, welcome back, and thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Random Memorable. To my virtual right, we have my good friend and neighbor, Matt Davey, as well as living just around the corner from me. He is also CXO at 1Password. Which do you think is your biggest claim to fame, Matt? Uh, what, between my my job or my location? Yeah, living, living around the corner from me. Uh, I'm moving slightly further away from you planned uh, towards the end of the year. So I'm, I, I'll, let's go with my role instead. <laughs> <laughs> and to my virtual left is the wonderful Michael Fay, as you probably know. By now, he generally likes to go by Rue. Uh, quite possibly because you're living life as an undercover spy. Is that right, Rue? Uh, that's exactly correct. Yes, thank you. I do have my theories about you. <laughs> I'm sure many people do. I think you'd be a terrible spy. Oh, I would be awful. Yeah. I feel like immediately you'd be like, hey, guys, come and look how cool I am being a spy. <laughs> you guys will never guess what I heard. <laughs> <laughs> so it feels like a lot has been happening in the world this week, doesn't it? I feel like. Every American is saying that they had a rough week, you know, depending on what side you're on and, and everything like that. It's been exhausting. But I, I feel like the, the British have been the ones that have been let down. I, I was checking my phone constantly at like two in the morning, four in the morning, all, all that type of thing. And then I had to, to wake up. And because of time zones, it was 2 p.m. before we would hear that nothing's happening. <laughs> so I, I think we were almost left longer to, to kind of just ruminate on it yeah than uh than, than you guys were it was torture i love the sentiment that like i had to wait longer to find out that nothing was happening like that's a really <laughs> that, that's exactly how the last couple of days have felt yeah i had the news on 24 7 every single day for about three days just to be told the results not in yet yeah no i i hear you i mean listen being in this in this country it was like it actually mattered to us so you know, there was, <laughs> imagine what you have been feeling and then multiply it by a few factors. It's It's been tense. I think we should probably start with some Watchtower Weekly. I think so. We'll try and keep it as uh, election-free as possible. Uh, so the first one, we're going to start off with, a you know, an awful one. A cybercrime group is targeting U.S. hospitals, federal agencies have warned. So, yeah, federal agencies warned hospitals, healthcare providers and public health groups that they were at risk of increased and imminent cybercrime threat from ransomware, which could paralyze their computer systems and make it hard for them to deliver care. At least four hospitals have reported the cyber attacks this week and hundreds more could be at risk. An intelligence analyst for the firm Recorded Future told CNN this could be uh, the biggest attack that we've seen. And the attacks come as as hospitals across the country are struggling to handle 
you know, spikes in, in COVID-19 cases. I think that the US had a record, uh, a world record for the amount of cases yesterday uh, and, and subsequent days beforehand as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and ransomware attacks have shut down hospital computer systems, often forcing them to turn to pen and paper charts and sometimes locking them out of things that they need to run tests or, or scans on patients. I, I don't think like we put enough emphasis on how much these computer systems are so vital for places like like these hospitals. Uh, I was watching a, a documentary the other day on how 999 calls or, or you know, 911 in the US uh, are, are handled and how when a computer system goes down there, they move to like this pen and paper system with like little cards. People are determined as runners and then have to like run these paper cards from one place to another. Like these places are so reliant on computer systems now that, you know, this this idea that something could be attacked and you would have to just suddenly deal with that and the fact to do it during a, you know, a worldwide pandemic is just gross and despicable. It's not the first time that we've covered the story. Didn't we cover this back in April as well? Something very similar where hospitals were being attacked? I, I feel it's because they have money. They might not have a lot of it, but the scale of which, you know, they're dealing with, with money, it does make them a bigger target they they probably don't put as much money into it based on their you know the amount of money that they actually handle right that's probably true and also like this is a this is a massive crime of opportunity they don't have time to not just pay the ransom and get past this yeah they need like they need these systems all the time so they can't just wait this one out this this is disgusting this, this is this is absolutely terrible. Yeah, and and you know if this is a state on state action, I I still feel like it's just disgusting. It, it should be something a, akin to like something that involves some other nation stepping in. But these type of things are always hard to to prove, and also starting something more more serious is is really difficult. You know, security experts do believe that a a Russian speaking group known as UNC one eight seven eight they, they they were not involved in the naming committee of, of cool hacker groups either. No. Um, but they believe that that group is, is behind the current attack. Uh, they're, they're financially motivated and one of the most brazen, heartless and disruptive threat actors I've observed in my career. That's Charles Carmackle, chief technical officer of cybersecurity firm Mandiant. So despite pledges from some cybercrime groups to avoid hospitals during the COVID-19 pandemic, attacks have continued. And this comes after a woman in Germany recently died in what is believed to be the first fatality that is directly attributed to a hospital cyber attack. Do you know what I want to see out of this? I want to see the cybercrime groups that have vowed to avoid hospitals to then turn around and attack the groups that have gone after the hospitals. I want to see them rise up and defend the hospitals. That's that's what I want. All out cyber war. A, a bit of a bit of cyber civil war. Cyber civil war, that's a good one. Yes. Or civil cyber war. No. Sure. Yeah. One of the two. Yeah. I mean, that's the next blockbuster movie, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It'll be, um, what's the guy in all of the Down movies? You know, White House Down, London Down. Oh, Gerard Butler. Gerard, Gerard Butler. Yeah. It'll be Gerard Butler. Uh, <laughs> he'll be definitely starring in that one. And there'll be lots of mashing on keypads, and that'll be no, it. No, he uses guns, not computers. Yeah, but they'll, they'll make a movie and just replace gunfire for just rattling on a mechanical keyboard <laughs> and, and call that, you know. 
call, call that good good reporting of hacking. <laughs> like snakes on a plane, but hacking style. Oh. <laughs> God, what a classic movie that is. <laughs> so our next story is about WhatsApp adding disappearing messages. So WhatsApp, of course, owned by Facebook. Their wildly popular app with 2 billion users is adding a feature to give more people control on how their words and pictures live within the app. So from today, messages including photos and videos can now be marked to disappear after seven days. Uh, The feature is being rolled out globally across iOS and Android starting November 5th. Uh, WhatsApp says it's starting with a seven-day lifespan, looking at playing around with time limits. They said, we will keep an eye on feedback and how people are using it and liking it and see if it needs adjusting in the future. A spokesperson also said, uh, for now, we're starting with seven days because it feels like a nice balance between the utility you need for a global text message based conversation and the feeling of things not, you know, existing forever. So, yeah, the seven day limit will exist regardless of whether the message gets read or not. And users can turn on the feature for direct messages. But in groups, it's the admin that has to enable disappearing messages for it to work. WhatsApp said it's one of the reasons it's taken its developers so long to bring the ephemeral feature to the wider chat experience is because in part of the encrypted aspect of the app. So yeah, part of me thinks that this is a little bit of a fake security feature, like a a security theater in in a feature almost, because anything that you send someone can be screenshotted. Yeah. Until iOS somehow brings in sensitive apps that you can't screenshot which Android does actually have, but I don't believe that WhatsApp is, is one of those apps. And so, you know, one password on Android, you can't screenshot it. You know, when you, when you try, it just comes up with a, a big black box where the, where the app is. And so mixing a feature of, of, of those two, again, if someone takes a photo of the screen, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I feel like it could be degrees of security, essentially. I, I have a healthy dose of skepticism around WhatsApp just by default because it's a it's a Facebook-owned property. And yes, I think that this is security theater. I'm not exactly sure who this is for. Well, I, I think it's probably nudie pictures, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I wonder if this feature is made for the rise in people sending pictures like that to each other. As you said, as soon as those things are sent, they're captured somewhere. Yes, you only send something like that if you have the understanding that, you know, that person could screenshot it, take a picture of the phone, could do something. And essentially all the servers that it's passing through as well, you know, end-to-end encryption is one thing, but trusting the the provider of that end-to-end encryption is a factor. Yeah. I mean, I've saved every single nudie picture you've ever sent me, Matt. So, like, it's... <laughs> I mean, they were also released in, in quite a glamorous magazine, so I feel like they were public anyway. <laughs> How about Vice.com talking about students rebelling against eye-tracking surveillance tools? So I think this is the most interesting one that we're covering today. Um, So a a privacy-minded computer science student was preparing to start his first year at Miami University, Eric Johnson. He was concerned that this fall, when he learned that two of his professors would require him to use the digital proctoring software, Proctor.io, for their classes. The software turns students' computers into powerful invigilators. Uh, so the, the webcam monitors eye movement and head movement, microphones record noise from the room, and algorithms log how often a test taker moves their mouse, scrolls up and down, pushes keys. Algorithmic proctoring software has been around for, for several years, but it exploded during COVID-19 
pandemic because, you know, schools have been forced to quickly transition to remote learning. Procter & Company cites studies estimating that between 50 and 70% of colleges uh, will attempt some sort of cheating and warn that cheating will be rampant if students are left unmonitored in their own homes. In the end, uh, Johnson never had to use Procter.io. Not long after he began airing his concerns on Twitter, he posted a simple analysis of the software's code on Pastebin. He discovered that his IP address was banned from accessing the company's services. He also received a direct message from the company's CEO, Mike Olson, who demanded that he take the Pastebin posts down. According to a copy of the message Johnson shared with Motherboard, Johnson also refused to do so. Oh, the, the drama involved in this is, is just another story completely aside. So much to unpack, isn't there? If my professors weren't flexible, I'd be completely unable to take exams, Johnson said. It's insane to think that a company or CEO can affect my academic career just for raising concerns. I, I completely agree with that. Yes. Like, yeah. it's so dangerous that a, a company can just ban individual users and not understand the collegiate effects that it has on someone's, you know, academic career like that. So here's my stance on cheaters. They're going to cheat anyway. Che- cheaters going to cheat. All right. And also, like, what goes around comes around. That will work itself out in the long run. And as far as, like, this company going after this this kid... What a dirtball move. Like if, if you needed to sort of take a barometer to the values that this company holds up as its public persona, that's a pretty good indication that they're kind of crummy. Yeah, I I, I mean, I, I really dislike this idea of monitoring like this. And, and I kind of think that like maybe they should have moved to coursework instead of exams. Maybe they should have moved to other methods of exams, like one that allowed someone a, a week to to undertake it rather than keeping with the the standard method of his 50 minutes yeah just looking through the um the training materials and and how the the system measures suspicion levels or you know using the clipboard navigating away having some keystrokes how many times when you're typing do you use the the clipboard for copying and pasting your own stuff that's how i edit and yet, somehow, I'm under suspicion. Yeah. Whoa. I, no, I don't like any of this. I can see why students are petitioning against this. I know a lot of universities, the students have kind of gathered together and got petitions. So hopefully they will be successful in bouncing back from this. Yeah. Also, is cheating so rampant that, th- that this has to be, that this is a requirement? The company that makes the piece of software... Tells you yes. I know. I don't. Okay. Well. Of course they would. I don't trust the. Yeah. Right. Ugh. 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 Yeah. There's nothing like uh, creating a need and then exploiting that need. Um, you know, e- even if even if that type of thing is is rampant, there are other ways of dealing with it. Nothing that that tracks I movement is good yeah (laughs) right like i'm just gonna hold down a blanket thing and just say tracking my eye movement is not a good thing i don't like it that is not okay (laughs) so next up we have this week at one password the segment where we give you vip access to all things one password and this week matt sat down with our privacy officer pillar garcia to chat about privacy by design and much more so stay tuned and enjoy Okay, we are joined today by Pilar Garcia, one of my favourite people. Pilar is privacy officer here at One Password, or Zorcerer, Exorcerer, Sorcerer, something like that, uh, as she is often referred to, and is here today to discuss all things privacy at One Password. 
So, hello, Pilar. How's your week going? Hello, Matt. It's going really good. Toronto seems to be confused about what time of the month it is. So we've been enjoying some very nice, beautiful, sunny weather here. Nice. So what does your day-to-day generally look like at One Password? Well, I spend a good portion of my day talking to people, talking to people on the phone or text all throughout the company. Privacy is not something that you add on to One Password, but something that is weaved in with everything we do. So I spend some time listening to them, asking a lot of questions, understanding what their goals and their needs are, and then looking into solutions so they can achieve those goals in ways that the best preserve privacy. And then I also spend some time poking and prodding into our current systems to find where there's a chance to improve our current practices and suggest plans to do so. I'm going to assume that the next question is a joke. (laughs) (laughs) So, Pollard, do you have access to everything at the company? No, I don't. We all understand that access to data is not a matter of seniority, of trust, of rank. I'm the first one to do my best to lead by example to avoid getting access or permission to systems unless I absolutely need to. Yeah, I am constantly turning down invitations to shared folders. (laughs) I don't want that. I don't know what it is. I don't know why I was invited, but looks to me like more invitations come with more work, more access. I don't want any of that. Yeah, I would say about once a week someone asks me, huh, shouldn't we just let you into this system? And I always, nope, no thank you. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, What types of decisions do you generally make around privacy? So there's a pretty wide range of privacy-related decisions. Some of the common ones are related to whether certain data can be collected or not. And once the answer to that is yes, then there's a question of, how are we going to use that information? How are we going to make sure it's not used for anything else? How are we going to store it? Who will be able to access it? Sometimes the questions about privacy are not about data we can collect or not, but how one password itself will behave and what kind of information other members of an account should be able to access, for example. Then we also have the questions of How can we best help our customers without revealing any information to the wrong person? And finally, there's making sure that we are also protecting the privacy of our own staff, because we can only protect our customers if we are consistent with our internal practices as well. One of the things that's always amazed me about the importance of your role and, you know, whenever we're on the the phone together is just how... I look at things as a as a customer experience and I, I likely look at information that we collect in isolation. So I'll look at this one factor and it doesn't seem so bad. But the brilliant thing about, you know, kind of when, when you join the conversation and, and rightfully correct me is it's not just that one piece of information in isolation. It's all the other factors that play into that. It's how they play together and, and what picture you're able to paint with both public pieces of information 
and that one and that small one thing that from my mind doesn't look like it's too bad to track or collect and then you rightfully are there to say look look at all these things that i can do with these pieces of information that were collected in isolation but are now put together yeah it can be fascinating to notice how one single piece of information on its own you can argue doesn't tell you all that much but once you combine it with a few other data points that also seem very friendly and innocuous, you can end up knowing a lot about a person. So how do we generally treat privacy differently? So we have always taken an approach of privacy by design. This means that we believe in privacy being the default in an inherent part of our process of our systems. So for example, when GDPR came along a few years ago, it was easy and straightforward for us to comply. We had not waited for someone else to tell us what to do or to do things right. So we didn't have to fix something that was broken. Everything was already privacy preserving and privacy by default. And what are the kind of practices we put in place for customers' information that we do collect to make sure that it's not misused in any way? The first step is we minimize the amount of data that we collect to begin with. You cannot use or misuse what you don't have. We simply don't have access to the encryption keys that protect each of our customers' data inside their one password account. This means we can access it. We can use it at all, even if we wanted to. So that's for the information inside your account. For the information we do need to have access to, we have set a few guardrails. So for example, if someone needs to start collecting something new, it has to go through an extensive review process that among other things requires a very clear, valid reason to why that new piece of data is needed. We frequently review our systems. Uh, we review what data is in them and who has access to them. And if we find an opportunity to restrict access, we always do so. So, so privacy is, is a really popular topic at the moment amongst many companies. They all claim to be doing things that are advancing privacy and treating it differently from, from every other company. Let's take a company like Apple, for example. What are they doing differently that we can highlight that is the right direction for something like privacy? I would say that it mostly boils down to whether they are proactive or reactive when it comes to privacy-related decisions. Companies that champion privacy think about the privacy implications of the decisions they're making in advance. They consider the repercussions that data collection and usage can have and make choices with that in mind. Companies that are known for being lax with privacy tend to be reactive. They only address a privacy concern once it's become a problem. And it usually only becomes a problem when it's a PR or a legal kind of issue, not a real privacy one. And then there's also the way they make their money plays a big part into it. So at the end of the day, Apple can champion privacy because they get their revenue from selling their products. And other companies are presented as free to the end consumer, but 
at the end of the day, what that means is that they don't pay for the product in cash. They have to pay for it some other way. And very often that other way is with their privacy. Uh, I do think that like when a product is free, it isn't just looking at the advertising that it's showing you. It's really understanding why it's showing you that particular advert, right? It is one thing to say like you are paying with your privacy, but it's it's another thing to kind of understand you are being shown that ad. Instagram is, is my favorite example of this. I am terrible for being advertised to on Instagram. I, I think uh, they're incredibly successful at making me buy things. <laughs> I, I think all the traits that I've put into Instagram, and you can actually like, you can download a file on Instagram that will show you all of the tags associated with you. And that is why they show you that particular advert. And that kind of thing is fascinating how many data points that they can get out of me when really like it's seemingly innocuous because all I'm doing is mainly uploading pictures of bread. I don't think I'm particularly personable on, on Instagram. It is just mainly things that I've made or, or something like that. But like really the interesting thing about privacy to me is just not being aware of all the kind of things associated with advertising. It's kind of like a, um, a bit of an iceberg, right? Like what you see on top is the advert, but underneath the surface of the water is just all the data points that have made up why they are showing you that. Yeah, and to your example of Instagram and slight confusion of how do they know all of this about me if I don't post that much on Instagram... Well, that's because they follow you around the internet and throughout all your devices. So they don't only have a profile from you, from what you have put in their app. They have created that profile from all your browsing experience. And again, not only in the phone you're using it, but throughout every device that you own. So that's kind of jarring when you think about it. Yeah. So, I mean, going back to the iceberg, it's not just the iceberg under the water, but really the entire ocean that you're that you're swimming in. Oh, yeah. It's amazing that they have all this information on me and still yet they still just rely on selling bread related items to me. So I think that probably says something about my entire browsing of the Internet now. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, so so going back to, to one password. You know, what's your favorite thing about, about working here? My favorite part about 1Password is the people. I get to come in every day and work with some of those that have now become one of my best friends. I get to be supported. I get to be inspired. I get to be challenged. And I just enjoyed so much how I'm able to spend my day talking to all these friends now from all around the world, they just make my day a little bit brighter. And you too are part of that. Oh, that's very nice. And and where can people go to, to find out more information about you? Am I right in saying that you're doing a, a conference talk soon? Yeah, you can find my Twitter handle on the show notes. And yes, I am speaking at PasswordScan in just a few weeks well, the conference is in Swedish time, I'm pretty sure that the videos from the talks will be on YouTube. I talked there last year as well, so you can also find my talk from last year at PasswordCon on YouTube if you want. Perfect. I've seen it. It's, it's well worth the watch. Thank you. This is a lot of fun. Oh, 
hey, are we doing any promotions uh, this time of year? We are. We've got a Thanksgiving promotion um, and we're donating $1 to charity for every family that signs up to 1Password between October the 12th and November the 26th. Wow. So if you or your family are thinking about signing up for 1Password, then it might be a nice time to do it and to give something back. I like it. That's great. And, and we'll have more details on, you know, what charities and, and how it goes and everything like that all on our blog. Excellent. I like it. So are we ready for Play Your Passwords, right? The game craze that is sweeping the nation. <laughs> Anna, is it your list today? It is, yeah. We're going popular artists and their songs themes to build on from last week where we did a music theme. Uh, so we're going a bit more specific this week. All right. I'm excited. All right. So here's how this works. <laughs> Anna has a list of 10 popular artists and their songs. She has run them through everyone's favorite uh, vulnerability website, haveibeenpwned.com, and is going to tell us how often these things have been exposed in some sort of security breach. She will read the first one off, tell us how many exposures it's had, give us the next term, and Matt and I have to guess if it has been exposed more times or less times than the one prior. We keep score throughout, and then at the end, Matt wins and i go home sad uh it's usually how this goes you won last week so hey anything could happen it's, it's true it's true okay so the first one we have is the beatles and it has been breached ten thousand two hundred and sixty nine times okay next we have a very popular beatles song yesterday oh definitely more lower nope it's less sorry Rue. matt is correct it is higher son of a gun 12,025 of course it is it's the word yesterday you're the word yesterday <laughs> like it bringing out your good side this game Rue. <laughs> okay so we've got a very popular artist these days Taylor Swift. It's higher. She has an army of Swifties, loyal followers. I, I do like a bit of Tay-Tay. Oh, of course. Who doesn't like Taylor Swift? Exactly. It's a bit of a guilty pleasure, right? I'm not guilty about it at all. <laughs> I have a Taylor Swift t-shirt. I'm not guilty at all. It's higher, by the way. Way higher. Yeah, definitely higher. Taylor Swift is way more popular than the Beatles ever were. <laughs> you can send your emails to... <laughs> I was going to say that's going to anger a lot of people there. And you are both incorrect. Uh, it is lower. What? Oh my God. There are only 3,400 people that have Taylor Swift as their oh, password. Oh no. Well, you know, who also have been in a data breach. But at this point, that's irrelevant. Yeah. That is so much lower wow. than I thought it would be. I was surprised. Yeah, I was very shocked. I knew that oh, one would catch you out. Fantastic. <laughs> wow. So next up, we have a popular Taylor Swift song, Shake It Off. And it's going to be in your head all day So now. higher or lower than were Taylor Swift herself? I, I, I think the, the other one is so low that I feel like this one has to be higher just because there are so many things in Have I Been Pwned that... This almost accidentally, even if someone didn't know about Taylor Swift, would be more than 3,000. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go lower on this, though. I'm going to go higher. Okay, Rue, clawing back the points. You are correct. It is lower. Yes. 514 people. 540. Are you sure you did this correctly? Yeah. <laughs> like, I hate to blame the did, system. Did you but... go to haveibeenpwned.com? <laughs> I mean, type it in yourself, Matt, and take a look, and I'll go na 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 na. Amazing. Oh. Okay, it's, it's it's one apiece. Okay, next up, Elton John. Higher. Higher than 514. Easy. Yeah, higher, definitely fine. Yep, you are both right. It is higher at 2,308. I mean, that's not even as high as I would have guessed. 
I would have guessed that would have been in the 10,000. Still lower than Taylor Swift. Wow. Yeah. The Beatles, way more popular than both Elton John and Taylor Swift. It's incredible. I mean, I could have told you that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we have a popular Elton John song and also the name of a biopic film, Rocket Man. Higher. Higher. You are both correct. It is higher. 10,865 there. Actually, overtaking the Beatles in popularity. Yeah, this definitely doesn't link to society as much as I thought it might. <laughs> so we have a popular Prince song here, Purple Rain. Oh. I'm going oh, higher. I'm going lower in this one. Yeah, Root, you're correct. It is lower, <sighs> 4,976. We just haven't seen the numbers that I, I'd expect. <laughs> I, keep, I keep trying to, you know, vote higher because... Like these are just in general lower than I would expect. That's okay. These are just the day of results. Uh, in the following days, as additional counts come in, these <laughs> these balances will change. I, <laughs> right. So we have Prince. Yeah, lower. It's too short to be a good password. Like even if you were, you know, trying to make one up yourself, it's just <laughs> all of these are such bad passwords. But that that in particular, just the word Prince. I doubt most places would even accept it. Well, you're not going to like this then because it is the highest password we've had yet. Oh, oh my god. Oh my goodness. <laughs> 159,065 there. People Prince. using what Prince. What are all these sites that are, are allowing this? Prince is way more popular than the Beatles, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that is hella impressive. Following on, we have another royal queen. Oh. I'm going to go with higher. No. Like, my, my thing of length is obviously out of the window at this point, so I'm going to go higher. I'm going lower. E- even though 160,000 is quite a high number. Yeah, I'm, go- I'm going low. Rue, you are knocking it out the park this week because it is lower at 20,704. Mm. Amazing. Now, possibly my favourite password we've covered in Play Your Passwords, right? The popular Queen song, I Want to Break Free. (laughs) (laughs) Lower. Definitely lower. I'm going higher on this one. Oh, okay. Split. So, Matt, you are correct. It is lower at only 86 people with I Want to Break Free there. But, you know. Wow. And we've got two more. So, this is Crazy in Love, a popular Beyonce song. I'm going to go higher. Oh, yeah, that's higher than 86 for sure. You are both correct. It is higher at 1,329. And now we have the Queen Bee herself, Beyonce. Slay that Beyonce. I'm going higher. Higher than crazy. Yeah, higher than the song. Yeah, I agree. I think this is going to surprise us how high this is. Yeah, you are both correct at 23,101. Oh. Beyonce. Or we could be underwhelmed. (laughs) <laughs> there we go so you know people in general don't really use popular artists as their passwords that's what we're going to take from this no apart from prince so he must have a loyal fan base there my, my takeaway from this is that i've won now two weeks in a row uh, so i'm on a hot streak you are nothing can stop you now Ray. <laughs> there's a little bit of of playing the numbers and a little bit of playing matt in this like i'll be honest <laughs> I, I do make a few rash decisions with this game, I think. Yeah. I think you try to look into it too much sometimes. You're a bit too logical. Yep. I generally overthink everything in my life. Yeah. So <laughs> this, this is no different. I can relate to that. <laughs> right. I think that's all we've got time for. Yeah, I think it is. This was fun. Love you both. I love you guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.